This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Uh, You may have noticed the hen scratching on the board, and the topic at hand is, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's one of my favorite topics in the entire Bible as far as a Bible story. Um, What we may be familiar with, especially as a child, uh, is the children's version of this in every children's Bible. Uh, The story of David and Goliath is probably an all-time favorite, and the number of lessons and sermons and um, theology that have come from this battle uh, are varied and there's quite a bit of I think every speaker here pretty much has probably covered this topic and this battle. Um, It wasn't what I was going to speak on this morning. I I know I say this almost every Sunday but it blows my mind sometimes how closely related our thought processes are uh, a couple of weeks ago, Brother Kalen was speaking, and I had already started some notes for my sermon, uh, putting new wine into old wineskins, and Kalen kind of touched on that a little bit. I thought, okay, okay, that's not too bad. We can cover that in depth. And then last Sunday, Brother Derek was speaking, and Brother Derek spoke on and brought up uh, putting new wine into old wineskins. So I kind of shelved that. Uh, This had been on my mind for a study for myself a lot because this is, uh, quite frankly, a topic I have struggled with since childhood. So you're along for the ride. If it pertains to you, awesome. There's so much involved in what's going on in this battle and in the people that play a part in this battle and the mindsets they have, which are completely different and varied one from the other. And what motivates them to be there and to be doing what they're doing. So, 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Now, let's kind of paint a picture here. We know that the, uh, the Philistines are the enemies of the children of Israel. And we know that uh, they have battled them time and time again. This is something that uh, the children of Israel and taking the land of Canaan have had to deal with and having various enemies and this is one of them. Now this particular scene, there is a valley called Elah. Now on either side of this valley, one side actually is in Judah and it belongs to Judah and the other side is part of Israel and it's very important strategically speaking, not just in this battle, uh, but throughout history. This valley has played a very important role. Now the Philistines, being coastal people, are constantly trying to move in and take more territory. And what they want is to take over the valley and the ridges on both sides. If they do that, well then they cut the kingdom in half. Judah on one side, Israel on the other. Saul's kingdom will be greatly reduced, and not only that, his fighting power will be greatly reduced. So this is a very strategic battle. It's been building for a while. Their forces are pouring in from uh, the Philistines. They've taken over one hill. The Israelites 
pouring in on the other hill, the valley down below. So as we, we picture the tents being pitched, the forces coming in, the logistics of keeping up an army of that size for both of them, they're constantly bringing in supplies and food and men and weaponry. Now the Philistines have an advantage. Their metallurgy, uh, their metals, their weaponry, and their armor is better than the Israelites, and they have more of it. So right off the bat, there seems to be a one-sided force here. So every day, they pitch their tents, they put their people in, they're coming down to array themselves for a war. And then something happens. You notice in verse 11, the Canaanites send down a champion. And it speaks to what Saul feels in his heart when he sees him and he hears him. It says that Saul and the Israelites, they were what? They were greatly afraid. They were terrified. This guy is a beast. He's a human tank. The description before verse 11 describes not only him, but it also describes what he's wearing. He is armored from legs to the top of his head. The only thing exposed on this guy pretty much is his face, and the weight from his armor is tremendous. Now, I'm not short. I'm probably a little around six foot. I used to be a lot taller than that. I shrunk over the years. Weird stuff happens when you get older. Picture a yardstick over my head. That's about three feet, and put a helmet on top of that. Now, he's proportioned, so, you know, this guy is massive. I would be dwarfed in his shadow. So the king himself was terrified. The soldiers are terrified. Some of these people work crops and tend sheep. And during the battle scenes, like we're seeing right now, they come in from the fields and they join the soldiers. And this guy comes down from the hillside, from the other side. Not only is he big, and he's mean, and he talks mean, and he taunts them. He says things against them and curses them and curses God. And in so doing, he brings up a taunt. Now, I, I believe the taunt he brings out is just that, pretty much a taunt. I don't think there's any proof anywhere when he says to them, send me a man. He's come down. He's their champion. Surely you have a man, you servants of Israel. Send me a man so that he may fight me. And if I win, you become our servants. If you win, we'll become your servants. There's no real proof that King Saul would have ever accepted such a challenge as that, in that way. And there's no proof that the Philistines did either. We know that because how the battle ends. Now, we already know the story, and we know who wins, and we know how he wins. Did the Philistines, after the end of this story, drop their weapons and take a knee on the field and say, okay, we're your servants. That's not what happened. But his constant tauntings, two times a day, for 40 days, when he comes down from the hill, send me a man. Give me a real man. Surely there's somebody, someone. You've got somebody with enough courage. Come on down and fight me. And he curses him, and he curses God. And this has been going on and demoralizes the Israelites. That's going on to the extent 
You know, a battle can be won before it ever starts. If you've lost in your heart, you've already lost the battle. It hasn't begun yet, but they are completely broken and demoralized. Even if skirmishes were starting back and forth, all they have to do is send Goliath down, and then they scatter like flies because they're terrified of him. Now, I know as a child I would, I would read this story and I would think, man, because I know how it ends. Man, if they, you know, I wish, you know, you picture yourself being the hero there. But let's be real. You know, be realistic for a minute. Let's say somehow you got placed back in history and you were there. And this guy, this beast, this human tank, heavily armored with all kinds of weaponry, but was state of the art and deadly. And you saw him out there. You think, eh, hold my coffee. I got this. I don't think so. I know I wouldn't. I would be scared to death. The guy is just tremendously big. And he's powerful. And those weapons he's carrying, I don't want any part of. Now, a fair fight's one thing. This was not a fair fight that was adding up. So what happens? We know the story. Jesse, his sons, three of them are already there. They're already taking part in this battle. And then there's David. Now, if we back up just a little bit to the previous chapter, we know something. We know something that Saul doesn't know right here. David's already been anointed to take his place. So God has a plan that involves David. And for that to be carried out, David's got to live through this. God's plans always work out, right? Brother Kid, I appreciate you leading that song. That was the main theme of what this chapter represents to you and to me. The battle always belongs to the Lord. All right. Jesse sends David with food and with cheese. Now, go and give the food to your brothers. And then give the cheese to the captain. And here's what you want to, you to do. Come back. Give me a report. Tell me how they're doing. Tell me how the battle's going. Now, that's your sons. You're, you're concerned for them. So you want to report back. You want to know that they're still alive, number one. And you want to know how the battle's going, how this is faring. So David's coming in blind. He doesn't know truly what's going on. He's been tending sheep the whole time. That's what he is. He's a shepherd. So age group, probably below 20 but not a little child. This is probably a teen. And he's probably strong enough to have been fighting. And we know that from what comes later, what he was able to pick up and to utilize. So he comes into the scene. They're on the hillside, and he's timed it about right, because here comes Goliath doing his daily routine. He does twice a day, cursing the Israelites. You got a man? Send him down cursing them, their God, and challenging them the way he has every single day. And David hears this, and it doesn't set well. It doesn't set well because David's heart is different than theirs. David moves a little different, acts a little different, and speaks a little different. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would come down and challenge the armies of the living God? Nobody else has been saying that, have they? No, they're scared to death. Well, they 
explain what's going on. They explain that nobody's come to meet his challenge. He said, why isn't somebody taking care of this? What is the king going to do for somebody if they do? So they tell him that you know, the king's offered some material things. He's offered a great reward, his daughter's hand in marriage, and his father's household to be tax-free. Those are all big things. But notice David's main motivation. He's curious about the reward, of course. Any teenager would be. And the more he asks about what's going on, curious about why somebody hasn't done something, his brother speaks up. His brother probably being put on the defensive because David just called them all out. Now here comes this shepherd boy. This, this teenager comes in. Why hasn't somebody been the man this guy's asking for and step up to bat? Who do you think you are? Why don't you just go back tending your sheep? Now I know your motivations. I know your ego. Well, he kind of ignores his brother. And he goes on talking to somebody else. And it gets back to King Saul. Well... There's a shepherd boy out there. He's asking questions. He's acting like he wants to go fight this guy. Bring him in. So Saul brings in David. He brings him before him. And what's he looking at? Man, he's dressed like a shepherd. He's got the tools and weapons of a shepherd. He probably smells like a shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's wanting men. The Israelites who are out there... Seeing all this going on, probably thought, yeah, he's going to the principal's office. He's going to slap his hand. He's going to kick him in the backside, tell him, go back home. You know, he made us all feel a little bad because we're trembling in our shoes. You can't fight him. He said, I am your servant. I will fight this Philistine. You're not able. You're just, you're a boy. You know, you're a shepherd boy. He has been a warrior trained from his youth to fight and to kill. You are not able. David didn't give up. Now remember, this is God's plan and not man's. So it's going to play out the way that God wants it to. David explains to him, he may be a little bit different than what he's thinking, not because he's courageous, not because he's strong, not because he's brave, but because of where his true power comes from. I've been keeping my father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear comes and takes a sheep, well, I go after him. I don't, I don't let him take the sheep. And then when we struggle, I kill it because God delivers me from the hand of the sheep, of the lion and the bear. Saul takes note. Now, they, they got two different motivations going on here. Saul's got a whole lot at stake here. Now, he hasn't technically made any kind of arrangement that is recorded that if David were to lose, they would have to be servants to the Philistines. But what he does have going on is he knows a couple of things. Number one, these tools which David brought, one of them is a sling, and it's more powerful than a lot of people think. That's a deadly weapon. In fact, the judges, remember when they were uh, fighting the Benjamites? The children of Israel had listed all the people and the troops that were involved. 
listed how many swordsmen and how many slingers. Slingers were deadly, and they were accurate. Slingers usually were picked because they were left-handed and because at a very early age they were trained to use the sling, which could be fired from anywhere from 60 miles an hour to over 100 miles an hour and could crack open a coconut at a distance. And as it explains in Judges, these people that were good with this weapon, they were trained to shoot it within a hair's breadth. I don't know what that is, but I have a feeling it's pretty tight and pretty close to the mark. And David obviously was pretty good. So in Saul's mind, being a tactician, maybe he thought, well, I don't know, maybe this guy's got a shot. <laughs> David's mind the whole time has been the same thing. This uncircumcised Philistine is coming down, cursing God himself and the armies of the living God. If God be for us, who can be against us? The battle belongs to God, not to us. He will deliver us. He delivered me from the bear and from the lion. He will deliver us now. Saul hears enough of that because when he agrees, what does he say? He says, okay, go. And God be with you. Got through to his heart a little bit, didn't he? But he's a little concerned. David doesn't look like a warrior, and he's not protected. He is in the most vulnerable state he could possibly be in. He has no armor, and he has no other weapons in case he misfires. There's no close combat weapon. So he said, okay, I want you to put on my armor, put on my chain mail, put on my helmet, take my sword. So David puts all this stuff on. Now Saul is described as being head and shoulders above the other men of Israel. He's tall. He's a big man. He's not Goliath, but he's a big guy. And there's a couple of things going on with the armor. Number one, it's probably a little too big, but even if so, in this time period, a lot of people who fought wore armor that wasn't made for them. They probably took it off enemies, and they inherited it, so it was not always a good fit. That's not the main focus when he says, I haven't tried it, I haven't proven it, I haven't tested it. Thank you anyway, but I haven't tested this stuff in battle. God already supplied him with all the tools he needed, didn't he? So when he exits the king's tent, he's coming down the hill. It's obvious what he's fixing to do. All the children of Israel are the soldiers who are standing on the hillside watching. They've been waiting for somebody like Jonathan, you know, a, a warrior. Looks like a warrior, sounds like a warrior, feels like a warrior. Lay the charge so that they can all attack. And a shepherd walks out. Looks like a shepherd, dressed like a shepherd. He's got the weapons of a shepherd. He's got a staff, and he's got his sling. It starts heading towards Goliath. I bet jaws dropped to the ground. Whew, we're sending a shepherd. Oh, my. <laughs> I didn't exactly get you all charged up. So as he's walking down the hill, what does Goliath do? He's coming down, and somebody's coming. Oh, man. Finally, they sent somebody. It's a shepherd. He's got a staff. He's got his sling. What am I, a dog? You coming at me with sticks? You send this boy? All right. Okay. Boy, this day, I'm going to hack you to pieces, and I'm going to leave your flesh for the fowls of the air 
and for the wild animals, and they're going to devour you after I kill you. I'm going to read the rest of it. I'm not just going to paraphrase. Because of this, you know those speeches that you give when you pump somebody up? Well, this, is, this is it. This is what you say. Because this was so heartfelt. This is coming from David's heart. This is how he responds back. Now, we're going to start in verse 45. And if you've been following along on your phone by any chance, um, and you have one of those apps where you can look at Bible verses in various translations. If, if you would, just go ahead and look at this, verse 45, uh, ESV, NLT, all the others specifically list some of the weapons that this guy has, Goliath. And in the King James, there was a Hebrew word which was translated for shield, because in the King James it says, you come at me with sword and with spear and with shield, but that Hebrew word uh, is an offensive weapon. And you notice in all the other translations, it says javelin. Now, what does that matter? Well, javelin changed warfare as we know it. Back then, that was the armor-piercing round. You're talking about, uh, you guys ever use a rock bar by any chance? You know what I'm talking about. Things heavy. You're busting rocks in a hole. Picture a rock bar with a sharp point on both ends. Chainmail, doesn't matter, it separates it. Goes right through it. The shields of that time period, most of them, they were even known to go through the shield and skewer the guy to the ground. That's how dangerous this weapon was. And it was a weapon that would be used at distance. Use close up, and you can use it at distance. David was about as vulnerable as anybody could possibly be if that weapon was coming at him. And that's what God uses us sometimes, doesn't he? When we are emptied like a vessel and vulnerable, open to his will, not our own, remembering that the battle is his. Because if we fight it on our own, we're going to lose it before we ever start. So this, this is from the NLT. Let's start with verse 45. This is David's reply to Goliath. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies of your men to the birds, and the wild animals of the whole world will know there is one God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people not with sword or spear. It's the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran. He didn't just walk towards him. He ran towards the giant. He ran out to meet him, reached into a shepherd's bag, taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling. He hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and he used it to cut off his head. Man, I love this story. <laughs> it just sends shivers down your back when you think about what was transpiring. Now, there's, there's a topic on the board 
And that is pretty much the title of the lesson this morning, The King's Armor. This is something that I have personally got from this story and something I struggle with and something I've dealt with probably from childhood. Uh, when I look at whatever task is set before me, whatever challenge I have to avoid, whatever thing that uh, is giving me problems, sometimes I look at, man, if I just, if I had such and such as ability, if, then, then I would be okay. I could, I could do this. My memory's terrible. If I had such and such as memory, I could go and talk to somebody the way that I need to. Always want to wear somebody else's armor, don't we? We feel stronger if we had somebody else's ability and somebody else's talent and somebody else's courage. The battle belongs to the Lord. He didn't need the king's armor. God had provided him with all the tools that he needed for the task at hand. That didn't look like it. And by everybody else's viewpoint on that battlefield, that was probably pretty apparent. He was way too vulnerable. God created you and he created me with specific purpose in mind. And he gave you abilities and talents you may not realize you have. We can't always look to and think about the things we feel like we've been shortchanged in to accomplish the task in life that we need to do. And when those struggles come, and they will, we can't always think, man, if, if I had their peace of mind, their courage, and their strength, this wouldn't be a problem. But this is just overcoming me. Battle belongs to the Lord. That's, sometimes that's a hard thing to see. And we see other people that struggle so hard because their challenges are greater than anything we've ever faced in our life. And we see how they're taking it. Seem to be taking it in stride with peace of mind, with great courage. I remember as a child looking at, at other people, you, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager, that, that's easy to do. You think, man, if I had their looks, their athleticisms, if I had their talents and their abilities, man, what I could do. I always want to wear somebody else's armor, somebody else's skin. God provides you with what you need. He always has and he always will. Why? Because it's for his glory, for his honor, and the battle will always belong to God. And when we realize that, we won't worry so much about thinking, you know, you didn't give me the talents that I need to, to be able to do what you set in front of me. Yes, he did. We just don't always see it. Sometimes the uh, courage that we see in other people in their circumstances it's not so much that we feel jealous, but we, we wonder, you know, if I was in their shoes, could I handle that as good as what they're doing? Man, I wish I had their armor. Got a phone call. Um, well, it's been a couple of weeks back now. An old friend of mine. I used to work with him. And I always know when it's him on the phone, whenever he calls, hello, you go, Dave, how you doing, man? Good to hear from you. Started out the same way it always does. Super positive guy. Always has something to tell you that's funny. You just you enjoy being around him. When you're around positive people, you feel more positive. And the conversation was going the way it always has. Ask how Pat was doing. Ask how his wife was doing. Need to get together real soon. 
He said, I just need to tell you something, Dave. Um, you know, there's been some changes in my life. You know, I had some uh, health issues. I went to the doctor. They decided to do a scan. And it was some spots that showed up. So, you know, we, we had some biopsies done. And it was cancer. And it had spread to all my lymph nodes. He said, now, I still have talked to my oncologist, but talked to the wife, and we've decided if it's this stage, then we'll just, you know, we'll let it take its course. And God calls me home. He calls me home. It is what it is. And he said, if it's this stage, we'll, you know, we'll start doing whatever they suggest and try to spend a little more time with the family if I can. And I'm thinking, man, what do I say? <laughs> I'm so sorry. He said, well, you know, it's, I'm not worried about it. Now, he's a believer. That's the difference. He believes. So I'm talking to him, and as he's explaining all this, he switches gears, and then he just starts talking like he always does. You know, he's laughing, he's cracking jokes. He, man, it just hit me. If, 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 and it may, you know, that may be my message to you one of these days when I get something like that. I don't know. When you get hit with something like that, how do you handle it? I would hope I would have armor like that. <laughs> That's how I want to handle it. The Lord calls you home. The Lord calls you home. You'll be out of the suffering. It'll be wonderful. Now, we're at a certain age. We're older. So that might be a little bit easier. Last thing you want to do is leave your young family. But challenges in life happen on a constant basis to all of them. They're not all cancer. And as we view other people and how they tackle those challenges, if we see that they need a reminder and our help in some way, we need to be there for them. You know, the battle belongs to God. That can sound as shallow words to somebody dealing with something tragic and grief, and suffering. And we're all going to deal with something. Heard a phrase one time make perfect sense. A good sailor isn't someone who's always had calm seas. Okay. Challenges of life. They make you who you are. And God equips you and equips me with everything you need, the tools you need to do his task, and to overcome whatever challenges come your way. It doesn't mean it's happy. I don't like when bad things happen. And I don't like when a challenge seems so difficult that I'm wishing I had somebody else's skill set. Because <laughs> I just don't think I can handle it. And there's always that reminder in the back of the head, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's not yours. He's there for you. And he sends each of us, to help each other in those aspects. If you need to remind me from time to time, and some of you have, you know, the battle's God's, David, and, you know, quit looking for all the skill sets you don't think you have. Remember the tools he gave you. We'll end with this. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Holy Spirit. He equips us with whatever we need for the challenge at hand. As long as we remember the battle is his, we don't have to be a superman. We don't have to be superwoman. The skin we're in is just fine. God gives us the tools we need. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I appreciate this audience. I always appreciate 
appreciate the audience in this group. Um, you guys always make the speaker, whoever it is, feel welcomed and listened to, and I appreciate that so much. The invitation is open for those who uh, may be subject to the gospel call or those who have something heavy on your heart and you feel like you just need the prayers of the church to overcome that burden. If you be one of either case, then please come and have a seat on the front row. Be your way of knowing, letting us know to assist you. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.